Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this message from Fresh Life Church. In just a moment, you're going to hear the third installment of our collection of talks called Easter People. And trust me when I say it's going to be amazing. But first, we just wanted to really quickly let you know that we are now taking applications for our fall semester at the Fresh Life Leadership College. And I know so much is uncertain in the world and what's going on and upheaval, but let me just encourage you to begin making plans in faith. We mm. believe uh, we will be uh, back to moving about the country, back to studying, and especially back to making steps towards all that God has for us. And that's what this leadership college is all about, being prepared for marketplace and ministry within the local church. Applications are open now. Freshlife.church slash college. This is accredited through Southeastern, and so you're able to actually pursue degrees. And I would just encourage you to pray about being with us here in Montana and serving God and helping expand what he's doing at his church in all the four states that we're in, mm -hmm. as well as our greater ministry platforms online, et cetera, et cetera. We'd love to have you uh, prayerfully be a part of all that God's going to do this next semester as we kick off in the fall. Well... Without further ado, we want to get into this message. It's a special one recorded from quarantine, from lockdown, right there in the middle of London, England. Our friend Ken Costa, who wrote a whole book on this character, Joseph, who we planned to have as a part of this series. And when I realized he wrote a book on an Easter person, I was like, it's done. You're <laughs> going to be a part of this. So I made him get a camera into his home before London got fully locked down. And he actually recorded this message from his den. He's an amazing person. Ken Costa is. He's a legend, a leader, uh, a banking titan, and uh, yet also is someone who's uh, served God in powerful ways and has been an encouragement to us personally. Yeah. And I know this message is going to bless you in special ways. So right. I hope you'll enjoy it. Greetings from locked down London to you, all my friends in Fresh Life Church, whether you're watching this in Montana or Wyoming or Utah or Oregon, I am with you and I long to be with you physically. But until then, I'm from speaking from my study and thank you so much to Pastors Levi and Jenny for giving me the privilege of speaking to you again. I so remember the last time I spoke to you, it was such an amazing time. I saw Montana at its best into the national parks with uh, Levi and Jenny and the family and Fee and I just absolutely loved being there with you. Now, life is very different. We're managing in isolation. We have allowed one walk a day and Fee and I do that. But you know, we've learned to pray together better than we've ever before. We've learned to be in touch with others that we've not done before and we hope to come through this, as I hope you will come through this extraordinary crisis time with our marriages stronger, our relationships stronger, our churches stronger. Because you only have to think about one thing at the moment. Never before have we had the airwaves cleared of sport or entertainment or open air shows ready for us to be able to speak as I am speaking to you across the continents, it's a preserved space for the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is good news that we have. But it is a crisis that we're in. It is a crisis. But you know, the wonderful thing is this. I am a, a banker and I have been in finance for over 40 years. And when we have general meetings of shareholders, 
The owners of the businesses sometimes turn up. Sometimes they don't. But the amazing thing is that in the church of Jesus Christ, the founder always turns up, whether it is across the airwaves from London to where you are in, in the middle of the United States. The founder always turns up. Jesus Christ is our hope. And do we need the fresh life? And it's so amazing to see what you're doing with fresh life. Since I was there last, you've planted more churches. Your pastor is speaking more authoritatively into the issues of the day. And you can only do it because of you. You may feel I'm a small part of this. I sit in the back row of one of the churches. But it's your time, your energy, and your money that enables this ministry to grow. And it's a privilege for me to be able to speak to you on the hope that Jesus Christ gives us. You know, this coronavirus is a crown of crisis. Corona is a crown. If you look at the protein, which we've seen on our television screens almost every day, there are crowns on the top of it. And it's a crown of crisis. It is a crisis because it becomes the chief authority in our lives. It's become a new power. Every media report that we're seeing creates new issues of fear for us. It becomes like a global wildfire, almost out of control. You know, we can move money around the world at the drop of a, of a click of a, of, of a mouse or of, a, of, of an engagement that can set up a Zoom call anywhere in the world as I'm speaking to you. We can move around. We seem to have control over so many things. People following Instagram won't stop us from feeling isolated and a tweet won't stop a virus. There is something that we need more than just positive thinking or some optimism of the globe that things will be all right. This is a moment for us to be able to think much more powerfully, much more carefully. And so I want to start, if I may, just with one verse from Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans 1 verse 11 really sums up everything I want to say. I long to see you, Paul says, and indeed I long to see you, so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I think it's an amazing thing that you and I can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And I do want to impart to you today, I want to give you something, and what I want to give to you is hope. You know, Augustine, the early father, said this. He said, hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. And there is a righteous anger on us at the moment, an anger that this virus seems to have spread, fear of an unimaginable proportions, of insecurity, of death, of hopelessness across the globe. There isn't a safe country on the planet that isn't being affected by this crown of crisis. But we mustn't base our hopes on fallacies or on fake news. No, we're angry, but also 
the twin daughters of courage, the courage to speak out against faulty statistics, fads and fantasies, the fears and our feelings. You know, this pandemic will pass, but the hope of Jesus lasts forever. So there's a crown, corona, a virus causing a crisis in the world. There is also the cross of crisis. You know, you are dealing at the moment, you're going through the Easter messages. And Easter was a time of great crisis in Passover at the time in Jerusalem. But there was another crown, not the crown of the virus of fear, not that corona, but the crown worn by Christ. It was the crown of thorns. It was the crown of thorns that broke the powers of darkness. Paul, writing to the Colossians, says he disarmed the spiritual powers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The cross of crisis will actually break the crown of crisis. It's the crown in which we put our hope. It's the power of God. It's the crown of victory. The crown of thorns that Jesus suffered on the cross when he died for us is the one that still embeds the great promise from John's gospel. I came that you might have life and life in all its fullness. This is the strange kingdom we live in. I wrote this book called Strange Kingdom. It was a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the martyr of the Nazis, who said this. He said, this king, a king who dies on the cross, must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. The crown of thorns is a power of, sim of the symbol of the death of Christ. He died for us, for you and for me. Do you know, I was just reading of Father Bernardelli, the 72-year-old priest in Italy, who was given a ventilator for his condition. He contracted the corona crisis. And he decided to give it away to a younger person who he thought had a greater need than him. It's a strange kingdom. It's a weird kingdom that we live in when we're prepared to give our lives for other people, just as Jesus gave his life for other people. But as I say that, I, I mean, I just wonder whether you, like me, sometimes say, do you know what, I understand these are moments of crisis, you talk about crisis, but it's for the big people, it's the big personalities, the ones I watch on YouTube, the ones that I'm, I'm following. But, but what about me? I, I'm just a bit player. I'm a marginal player. The church isn't really interested in me. I'm just a business person. And sometimes I suspect, though I'm sure that's not the case in Fresh Life Church, I suspect that it, I'm just there for the money. I'm not the headline act. I don't hit the front pages. I am, I'm a kind of small print Christian. I don't fit in the big narrative of the world. Well, I've got news for you. Because I want to look at someone in a very similar position. I want to look at someone called Joseph of Arimathea. 
And you would say to me, who he? Which Joe is this? I've heard of Joseph, who was the prime minister of Egypt. I've heard of Joseph, who was the, the husband of Mary. But Joseph of Arimathea, who he? Well, let me tell you a bit about him. I've been captivated by him. And I'll tell you why. Uh, many, many years ago, one of the prophetic people came to London and in a great big hall, he picked me out by name and said to me, you will be like Joseph of Arimathea, bringing hope uh, to people. Well, I didn't think very much of it. It was unusual to be picked out by name from somebody who'd never known me. Uh, but I was told that's the way for the prophetic work. And that's 20, 30 years ago. And yet he came back to me with a freshness that I've never known before. That freshness of seeing this person, Joseph. You know, there are only 16 verses in the Bible about him. He never speaks in the Bible. He is recorded in all four of the Gospels, so he was clearly someone of importance. He came from a Judean town of Arimathea. Nobody knows where that is. And he was the person who went to Pilate and said to Pilate, could you let me have the body of Christ so that I could take it down from the tomb and I will bury it. I give you my word, I will take it. I know you think that this was someone who was causing trouble for you, but I will take it and I will bury it in my tomb. He was an extraordinary brave man. Let me read to you from Luke's gospel, and I'll tell you why I did this, because when I was thinking of Joseph of Arimathea, something that meant nothing for, to me until sort of a year or so ago when I connected again with that word. Luke chapter 23, there was something that leapt out at me. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Do you know, during his lifetime, Joseph was a secret disciple because he was fearful, which is what John tells us. I wonder whether you, like me, sometimes we feel like we are secret disciples. We don't want too many people to know. If everybody knew that I really was a follower, would I be suffering in my work? How would, how would people react to me? And so we become secret disciples as Joseph was, because he had fear in his heart, fear that he would be discovered by the Jewish people because he was also a member of the Jewish council, which was kind of like a, a governing body. He was prominent, he had uh, power in his hands, that is true, but he was, a, he was doing an ordinary job of work. That was what he was called to do. But the extraordinary thing was that he managed to do this extraordinary act of taking the body of Jesus, going to Pilate, saying, can I have that body? He responded to this crisis. 
you know, he was the man of the small print. We don't see him at the top of the transfiguration with Peter, James and John. He wasn't there at Gethsemane, but he responded in a small way. And he was stewarding his influence. He went to Pilate to ask for the body, but also he was stewarding his affluence by being able to put together some money to take spices for the body of Jesus. And I think it's worth us thinking about stewarding influence. You know, you say, well, I've got no influence. Well, you do. You have influence over the people that you meet every single day. Bit more difficult now when we're in lockdown. It doesn't mean to say you can't speak to them. It doesn't mean to say you can't be on social media, connecting with people. Influence, each person has it over the people that are around them. And affluence, when you compare us to anywhere else in the world, we have disposable income. How are we going to use it? But you know, there was that extraordinary time in, in the crisis, because it was a crisis when Jesus was being condemned to death and that whole time in Jerusalem where they were looking uh, to see where this man was. And in this final moments of this great big drama that was happening on Friday of the crucifixion, there was Jesus dying on the cross. And I want you to ask this question when you think that I'm, you're just someone of the, the small print, the footnote of history perhaps, or the footnote in your church. You don't think you matter, but you do. Where was Peter to take the body of Jesus from the cross? Where was John? Where was Nathaniel? Where was Thomas? Well, I suppose we can forgive him because he had doubts. And this big moment came. You would expect the body, like it is now, to be given to the family. But no, it was an ordinary business person who went and said, yes, I've been a secret disciple. But in that moment when he looked at that cross and he saw that just person, dying. I'm sure he said to himself, as the cross has been for almost everyone else, there was a crisis. The cross of crisis is what brings this hope. And he went to take hold of the body of Christ. An extraordinary thing, the courage to go to Pilate and to say to him, I would want to take that body. And then he gave him his tomb to lay in. So I think that there are some lessons that you and I can learn from this. And the first is this. In a crisis which Joseph faced, he had to establish what was right from what was convenient. And when they met together in the Sanhedrin, I mentioned to you the verse that we have just read in Luke's Gospel who had not consented to their decision and action. He was not part of the majority. He was the one that stood out for, an, for a just man, for an innocent man, who the baying crowds and the rulers actually wanted to see uh, executed. They wanted nothing to do with him. But he'd have to do that publicly. You know, when you voted in the Sanhedrin, 
you would take your vote and you would publicly go to an urn which was in the middle of the room and into that urn you would put your vote. He would be seen to be voting against the majority. He didn't agree with their, with their, their, their decision. He believed that that decision was wrong and he didn't believe with their action. And so often for ourselves, we make decisions, yes, but we don't act on them. And then we take actions out of those decisions. And I think we need to look carefully at being able to say, when the crowd is moving, when social media is going mad, when people are pushing and pressuring on us to, to conform, to just toe the line, to go with the flow, just as he was, then I think the moment comes to be able to say no. He was not part of the majority. You think for the moment when the eyes and expectations are on people, the college student that stands up for free speech in his college, the mother who takes the head teacher to task on what is being taught in the school, the athlete who is saying, no, I'm not going to be part of the doping culture, the brave whistleblowers who said, stood up against the power of rich and powerful people and corporations. And just think of the moment of Susan Fowler, the first woman who in a simple blog complained about the harassment in her company uh, at the time. She blogged on it. She told people about it. She said it was painful to be able to come out and say, look, this is happening. The chief executive was forced to resign and the Me Too movement started in its earliest stages. Now, we may complain about excesses and there will always be excess. But there is always a time when the minority stands up. Winston Churchill said, don't underestimate the power of a dedicated minority. Don't underestimate the power that you and I, working together, can see the kingdom of God coming. It is not fashionable. It is not with the flow of the age. It is not sought to be clever and wise to be a follower of Jesus at this time. But it is the cross of crisis brings us to the moment where we can see the cross standing ready in the middle of our lives and we stand up for that person who was despised and was rejected. That takes courage. Joseph was not part of the majority. So we long for hearts of justice. Do you know 400 times in the New Testament and Old Testament, there is the talk of justice. Justice weaves itself through the heart of God. And it's a, it's a proactive activity. And we're touched by it. You see the eyes of a vulnerable child, a trafficked person, the drug addict, the natural disasters, the cancers that we see, the longings that we have. It appears to be there is so much injustice and inequality in our world. And we say, well, there's nothing really I can do. So we learn from, from Joseph that, yes, you, you, you may be only a small player, but we play a part together. And I think this crisis that is brought into the world through the virus has brought people together in a way in which we could never have imagined, has enabled people to be able to say, I can do something. I can speak out. Even if I'm alone, 
I don't have to accept any tweet, any false um, truth that is propagated. I can still have a concern for justice. I can pray. I can give. I can reach out. And we don't have to be paralyzed and not being able to do anything about it. A passion for justice. I was just thinking when I was a, a young student, I had a passion for justice. I lived in South Africa. It was in the brutal days of the apartheid regime. And there was, we felt there was very little that we could do. We were students, we could demonstrate, we could show our solidarity with the majority of people who were being oppressed at the time because of the color of their skin. Nelson Mandela, the great hero of my generation, who it was privileged to meet on several occasions, was an inspiration but locked up in jail. What was to be done? I felt then so frustrated that I was but a footnote in the great liberation struggle that would eventually produce the freedom in South Africa that came with the release of Mandela. There are times when we will feel like we feel now, the intense frustration at not being able to do what we would long to do. But the other lesson I pick from Joseph is the power of partnership. I can't do it alone. We cannot survive on our own, even when we don't have the crisis that we have in our midst. We need others and we're learning to depend on other people. Younger people in London are helping older people do their shopping. The government asked for some volunteers for the National Health Service to help. And within 24 hours, 500,000 volunteers had appeared to be able to signed up to work with each other. So what happened with Joseph was that here he was taking the, the body of Jesus down from the cross and he found a partner and the partner that he found was Nicodemus. You might remember Nicodemus. He turned up to Jesus late one night and Nicodemus and Joseph together worked together as a partnership. Nicodemus brought hundreds of thousands of dollars in modern currency of, of spices that were needed for the body to be entombed. And they made a common cause. Both of them, Nicodemus came by night. Joseph was a secret disciple like so many of us. But they came together when they saw this person dying. You know, it's one thing to be a follower of someone who is alive, someone who's young, someone who's youthful, someone who's got an agenda for change, a vision for the future. It's quite another to nail your colors to the mast of a dead Messiah. And that is what they did together. But they did it together. They did it together to partner up and to take the body of Christ from the tomb. I think of the disappointments, the confusion and the fear that we have at the moment. And I think of, 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 of Joseph, what was going through his mind. 
the pressure on him. He was a prominent person. Was he going to use his, his, um, his, his money, his influence, his affluence for a dead Messiah or someone who was supposed to be a Messiah but wasn't? He was under that kind of pressure. And then he decided he was going to walk forward, go forward to Pilate to get the body of Jesus and at the time when we're, when we're looking at disappointment of, well, what this world looked like, I had such hopes before this crisis. And what will it come out of? Will I still have a job? Will the world have changed so much? Well, the world changed absolutely dramatically on the day that he did not know, which was the resurrection day. Joseph never saw that resurrection. But now you see what he was is, is he became in that moment even of disappointment, of frustration, of not knowing what the future was like, of having the pressure of going to ask Pilate for the body of a criminal when he were a respectable person of the society. He was, became an admirer. He was an admirer from a distance and now he became a follower. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher, said this, the difference between an admirer and a follower still remains, no matter where you are, the admirer never makes any meaningful sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Well, I don't want to play it safe. And I'm so sure you don't. We're not just admirers of Jesus or some cult hero. We are followers of Jesus. We've come close to him as Joseph came close to him, making these day-to-day -day decisions. We don't need to take the easy option because followers walk behind the one who leads, who is Jesus. And then again, I look at this picture of Joseph and there occurred this extraordinary time of waiting the silent Saturday, or a purposeless pause. You know, there was a great excitement in Jerusalem on the crucifixion time. And then there was a purposeless pause, a waiting. And a waiting that had an extraordinary time of, of pressure. You know, we are wanting to be faster and faster. Joseph had been waiting for this Messiah for, the, for many, many years. We need to learn to wait. The story of the world is a story of waiting. We wait for the healing of our loved ones, our marriages, for peace in the world. We're waiting for this virus to go. We're waiting for our prayers to be answered. It's waiting times that God uses his spirit to slow us down as he is doing at the current moment. When you're slowing down, linger longer, take more time over your relationships, over the actions that you're doing when you're locked down. And then Joseph saw the silent Saturday. It was as if heaven was closed down. There was nothing happening. There are times in all our lives, it may even be now when we cannot believe, we cannot get through to God. And if there's anyone listening to me now who hears this voice and says, God is not here, then just remember the silent Saturday when literally nothing happened. When Joseph took the body of Jesus Christ in his hands 
And as he carried it, he realized the hope of Israel, dead. The Messiah, dead. The miracles, dead. The resurrection, not happening, dead. The hopes, the aspirations, the longings, dead. The confusion he must have felt in that silent Saturday. Do you know, I know of no Christian leader or Christian business person or Christian of any kind who will not have silent Saturdays. When it feels like the cross is on one side and it's all past, some he didn't know there was going to be a resurrection and we do know there is a resurrection coming. But yet we have to live in the time when it looks as if nothing is happening. Every leader will go through the time of a silent Saturday. I know you know the picture of those footprints in the sand of two people walking together and then only one set of footprints continuing. And the question was, Lord, we walked together. Why is there now only one? You have abandoned me. And the answer was, I haven't abandoned you. I was carrying you. But there aren't any pictures in our, in our shops of the times when it, was, when it is as if we are carrying the burden of Jesus Christ in our lives, the insecurities, the hopelessness. It appears to be dead. The thread of disappointment you, you don't know what's going to happen. The patterns don't seem to be what you would expect them to be. We don't know where these viruses are going to continue. We're trying to pray that this would not be what we think it is. But there is no sort of response. The silence, Saturdays, the pain of appearing to be isolated, as so many of us throughout the world are, isolated from others. Can we finds a purpose in what appears this silent moment. But you know, this silent Saturday does not last forever. The pandemic will not last forever. The virus will not be forever there without it being checked and without it being killed off in due course. You may think I'm in lockdown. There's nothing I can do. What difference can I make? Well, you can make a difference. You can speak hope to yourself. Get to know yourself more. Read the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures. Speak to others. Make sure you're speaking to those that are most need of a telephone call or a, a, or a Zoom call. Here at home, I gathered a group of young, young um, leaders together. We call it the Curry Club. Well, we couldn't meet. But last week, Uber Eats delivered to us our curries. We prayed together, we worshiped together, and we did that virtually. There, are, there is not a time now that there's lock out. And if you say this, let me summarize if I can. What do we, the people of the small print, the footnotes, what do we, what can we learn from that? One, in this time of crisis, keep your head, keep your head. Joseph argued with the Sanhedrin saying, you are wrong. The facts are against you. The man is innocent. Keep your head, even when others are disputing it, that we are Christians. We keep our heads. We hold to the truth. Second, guard your heart. 
When Joseph saw the dying Christ, something melted within him. He could not watch what was happening without doing something. And he guarded his heart and went to Pilate with courage and said, let me have the body because the rest of the family are not there. I am an ordinary business person. I'm doing an ordinary job, but I can see an injustice and I can see the time when I will do what others will not do. Even those big and famous names, they were not there. And thirdly, use your hands. Use your hands at the moment. Of course, we're tied down, but it's a time to be practical. As he was, he took his hands and took the body of this dying Christ into his own heart. Let your heart rule, but not over your head. And let your hands act to fulfill all that is hoping, all the hope that we have. The twin daughters of hope are anger and courage. It is a time when we want to be angry with what is happening, the injustices in the world and the horrors of this virus, but also the courage to do something about it. And remember this, isolation will end. The pandemic will end. Silent Saturday did end, even if Joseph didn't know it, but we were the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight. We could see that hope was there. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The silence of Saturday became the singing of Sunday. Sunday was the time when the church, the, when the, it was not a time of lockdown. It was a time of loosening up. Jesus loosened the bonds that held him. He loosened that which drew him to himself to tide him down in those grave clothes. He rose again. And as you contemplate this season of Easter, it is a strange kingdom that we live in. It is weird, but it is the power of God, the crown of crisis, the corona of crisis will pass. But the cross of Christ, that decisive moment in history, when God himself came to reach us and made an end of this endless searching that we have to go through to meet God, was finally vindicated on that glorious resurrection day. And that resurrection is available to you, to me, to everyone on the globe, to all of fresh life that are watching me and listening to me, downloading this message, streaming it, YouTubing it, wherever it is, hope is still there. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And we can learn from this small player, this footnote player, but he was a footnote, but note, it was the foot of the cross that he came to. That is the Joseph of Arimathea that I've loved and that I've shared with you. And now, wherever you are, in whichever location you are, perhaps your campus pastor will allow you to encourage you to stand up. And I wonder whether you could stand and have your hands open in a sign that you want to receive from God this encouragement. I want to impart to you today a gift. As we read in, in Romans, a gift, and I want to impart to you a gift of hope. Hope in this time. So if you could be quiet wherever you are. Keep your hands open. I will pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you for your spirit to come on every single person 
in this church, online, watching it today or later or whenever it is. This is a message of hope. Hope comes. Hope will not disappoint us. Life will disappoint us. Perhaps even the virus disappoints us, but hope will not disappoint us. So in the name of Jesus, strengthen hope in each person's life. Hope for your business. Hope for your family. Hope for your children. Hope for your future. Hope for your finances. Hope for us coming out of this time strengthened and empowered by the spirit of the living God. Come, Lord Jesus, even so, even so, despite everything around us, come and give us hope, hope in the same way that you gave hope to the church throughout the ages because Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Silent Saturday is over.